welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we wonder why some people couldn't pour water out of a boot, even if the instructions were on the heel. It seems some people in government have photographic memories. It's just that the lens cap is still on. It means insurers are forced to ask not to allow new building developments to go ahead on floodplains. According to a recent study, some employees are like bungalows. They've actually got nothing upstairs. It turns out we have to regulate for employers to actually work from home. And after 23 consecutive increases, it turns out the definition of insanity is not a quote from Albert Einstein, but latest Marsh Index on commercial premiums. Hello, everyone. This week, we're all chomping at the bits. I'm joined by senior journalists Miranda Maxwell and Bernice Ham, deputy editor Wendy Pugh, editor John Deeks, and chairman Terry McMullen. Good morning, Bernice. Morning, Andrew. Do you know anyone a few fries short of a happy meal? Oh, yes, a few right now. I'm one of them. (laughs) Hi, Miranda. Hi, Andrew. What's the stupidest thing you've witnessed? Well, somebody suggested to me it might have been worrying so much about the Matildas. They killed it last night. Obviously, that person was very, very intelligent. Speaking of intelligent, oh, hello, John. Hello. What about you? Can you think of anyone a few feathers short of a whole duck? Well, you always ask me about cricket, Andrew. It was pretty stupid of our um, captain Ben Stokes to catch a ball and then drop it while celebrating. But thankfully last night, it didn't matter in the end. And hola, Terry. Hello, Andrew. I'm not even going to ask you. (laughs) That's probably very wise of you. And finally, Wendy's back. Hello, Wendy. Hello, Andrew. Did you have a nice break? Yeah, I had a great break. Thank you. Nice to be back. Excellent, excellent. Well, we've been saving all the important news for you. Insurers are leading calls for governments to stop allowing inappropriate developments on floodplains. Tell us who's saying what. Well, ICA have got together with Master Builders Australia and Planning Institute Australia to create a sort of stronger united voice calling reforms to prevent risky building on floodplains. So they had an inaugural roundtable last week along with the Australian Local Government Association, which um, was timed to coincide with the National Planning Minister's meeting. So they put forward proposals in a communique to make land use planning better for the future, given we've got climate change risks as well as pressure to provide more housing for a rising population. So, you know, development just needs to be done more intelligently as we've got these two factors coming into play to make sure we're not building on floodplains and putting uh, people at risk while then leaving them with unaffordable or unavailable insurance. So, you know, their communique focused on things like investing in better mapping and flood modelling and having agreements around limiting development in certain areas and, and making sure we're also building back better after an event. Well, Australia seems like a pretty big country. It's very obviously the country needs to act on this, John. Why hasn't it happened already? Yeah, good question. When you're asking about stupidity earlier, I mean, how stupid is it to spend millions on relocating communities out of at-risk zones only to build more new houses in just as much danger. But yeah, why hasn't it happened? I think there's probably a lack of coordination between all levels of government here. You've also got some quite pushy developers with expensive legal teams ready to sort of jump in if they don't get their way. There's also home buyers that they're quite willing to ignore the risks when they're buying a property. It seems there's been research done on that. 
And then, as Wendy says, there is a there is a genuine need to find a lot more housing in this country and affordable housing at that. So it is tempting, I guess, to 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 build on the cheapest plot of land and, and just sort of turn a blind eye to the fact that it might go underwater once every so many years. There's there's a few reasons for you there, Andrew. But uh, I do think there's a certain irony that insurers are leading the charge on this. And yet they're still the ones who get blamed when those homes get built. And premiums are like 40,000 a year or whatever because of the flood risk. We can only hope that this is the point at which the message finally starts getting through, a bit like the message on mitigation got through in the end. Well, Bernice, the latest Marsh Index on commercial premiums is hot off the press. What are the headline figures here? Yeah, so a couple of headline numbers for the second quarter that are worth mentioning here for our listeners. So first up, um, prices in the Australian market went up by just 2%. In the prior quarter, it was 7%. So the trend appears to affirm what brokers and insurers have been saying, that basically the market is moderating after some really significant hardening in the last few years. And since the second quarter of last year, prices have gone up by less than 10%. So it's it's really cooling down the market. In financial and professional lines, uh, which include directors and officers uh, and cyber, rates actually fell by 8%. So it's the first contraction in more than 17 quarters. With DNO, as we've been covering, uh, it has had a couple of very tough years. And uh, in the second quarter, it fell by more than 10%. So we're seeing uh, insurers actually competing for more uh, for business. So it's a sharp turnaround from what we've seen in the last several years. And in property, it's a mixed bag. Rates went up 5% and that's where the good news ends. Cat-affected clients and insurers with lost history are actually getting way more than 5% rate rises and we all know why it's to do with last year's floods, etc. Well, that's the 23rd consecutive quarter of rises, Terry. You can understand why some people say the insurance cycle is dead. Well, 23 quarters, what's that? That's nearly six years of rising premiums and falling capacity. Uh, That's a little longer than the average hard market, as I recall. I I haven't been afraid in the past to support that theory about the death of the insurance cycle, simply because everything is changing, technology, etc. I guess the next few years is going to tell. There's more capacity entering the market at the moment, precisely because premiums are technically closer to reflecting the risk which is PR speak for much more expensive. And therefore, really, risk is is worth investing in again. The test is going to come as capacity continues to increase and players start competing for customers again. Will the present premium levels hold in the face of competition? I don't know, but if premiums do fall in the, the battle for more customers, then I'll have to admit the insurance cycle lives. Now, AFCA has released data on complaints, Miranda, and the thing seems to be heading in the wrong direction. Yes, complaints to AFCA rose about a third to a record of almost 97,000 last year. There's still a lot more complaints about banking and finance than insurance, 54,000 versus 28,000 about insurance. But the devil is always in the detail and the trends are concerning because general insurance complaints were up 50% in just the year, and banking ones were only up 27%. And of the top five most complained about issues, insurance took out three. Number one was claim delays. Payout amounts and exclusions used to deny claims were also up there. And so those three issues represent 
more than one in five of every complaint AFCA deals with. So it's a big chunk. We did have the worst insurance catastrophe Australia has ever had last year with the floods. And AFCA says only about a thousand of 10,000 complaints about claim delays were due to the catastrophes. But the Insurance Council makes the point that it's the same systems and staff that handle every claim. So the strain is broad and not specific. I think the overall message has to be that insurers need to improve early stage work so that the disputes just never make it to Africa and the formal determinations. Well, of course, not all of those complaints are warranted, Terry, but is this a worrying trend? If we have natural catastrophes on the scale of the past year, Andrew, yeah, claims claims disputes will be a trend at AFCA. You, you have to expect that. While you have to feel for customers who've paid their premiums and then had to wait an appallingly long time for their claims to be dealt with, you also have to look at the fact that really no one, government or industry, was anybody was prepared for disasters of the sort of magnitude we've had. The shortage isn't in money, it's in trades and materials and possibly within communications. You know, maybe AI can help with future communications issues after large-scale claims events because what people want is someone at their insurer to talk to them. Wendy, the federal government has announced that pretty soon all new vehicles will need to have reversing cameras installed. Yeah, all new vehicle models will have to have a reversing camera and sensors installed from November 1, 2025. And the new Australian design rules will also require all new vehicles of existing models to install the technology by November 1, 2027. So the federal government says there are just too many accidents involving reversing and, and you know, this will help improve driver awareness and, you know, particularly um, protect um, pedestrians who often, you know, are, are hurt when drivers just aren't aware that they're there. So that'll be uh, coming in the next few years. Well, this can only be good news for insurers, Benice. I think it should be good news. I mean, reversing cameras are like an extra pair of eyes, if we can call it that. Uh, it en- enhances driver visibility by minimizing blind spots while reversing. And my neighbor actually has one um, installed for the front of his car as well. So, <laughs> so and also the technology is potentially a lifesaver. Like Wendy's saying, you know, they're the largest single road user group in Australia and, and they've got no protection against uh, vehicle impact. And as far as claims are concerned, um, it should help insurers. Uh, I was looking for some stats and found this interesting bit about car park insurance claims last year. So almost a quarter of uh, shopping center car park collisions involve an, involve an insured driver hitting a stationary object. Could be a shopping trolley or pillow. It could be, it could have happened while they were reversing. And 22% of shopping center car park collisions occurred when at least one driver was reversing. So I guess we do need uh, reversing technology after all, but I'm holding out for as long as possible. (laughs) Well, finally, Miranda, a recent ruling has shown that when working from home, employees do actually need to work from home. George Orwell might be turning in his grave because there's a bit of a dash of Big Brother in this story. IAG dismissed an employee after investigating her laptop and finding there was only minimal keyboard activity when she worked from home. She took it to the Fair Work Commission, but it ruled IAG had not been harsh or unjust. She said she'd been at IAG for 18 years, but from April, she started missing deadlines and being uncontactable and failed to lodge a document which led to an ASIC fine. 
eventually after some warnings, IAG did the laptop cyber review and that found that of 49 days, she only started on time twice, wasn't accessing shared drives. There were 200 hours with no keystroke activity and her overall keystroke activity wasn't high enough. So the Fair Work Commission agreed with IAG that this was misconduct that was serious in scale, though it also said it was regrettable because her doctor said her sleep and memory were impacted by some family deaths and she had been a good employee for many years prior. Is there a keystroke tracker on my computer, John? I don't know, Andrew. I do hope there's not one on mine, although... um... I would point out that on a Monday, I think our team would probably set some sort of world record as they uh, pound their keyboards, getting Monday's bulletin together. You know, this ruling does show it's a very effective tool, but it, it may be a little crude. I would like to say that, you know, a news editor does a lot of research and reading and uh, not always tapping away at the keyboard. But yes, I'll stop now before I talk myself into trouble. I can see how much you scroll on your phone. I just can't tell whether it's Instagram. And on that note, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight Podcast by Insurance News. Thank you once again to our panel, Wendy Pugh, Benice Han, John Deeks, Terry McMullen and Miranda Maxwell. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google and all your favourite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.